of you guys follow Garris Elkins' uh, Prophetic Horizons? Yeah, powerful. He was here one time sharing him and his wife, Jan. Wonderful people. He's a real kindred spirit. But earlier in the year, he posted a post uh, on his blog about higher praise. I, I don't know if some of you read it. It was powerful. But I see that happening, that we are moving to, and I don't even know what that really means. It's just that you see it happening where we are going to something higher in our praise. The worship teams, you guys have rocked it and knocked it out of the park. And, and <clears throat> Where's Elizabeth? Where's Elizabeth? There she is. She's back there hiding. There she is. I, I don't know what it is. The light's here. I can't quite see. You just took it to another level. And your understanding and your heart to want to just be in his presence, you bring it. The job of a worship leader, and by the way, this is all free. The job of a worship leader is to take us to the heavenlies and allow us to have an intimate encounter with God and bring us back here. Amen? And you guys are doing that so well. David, oh my goodness. Newt, you guys are all going, you're, you're going to another level, and I'm so proud of you guys and so blessed to be part of this tribe where you guys are leading worship. Having said all that, there's something I want to address very, very quickly. Being one of the fathers in the house, uh, some housekeeping here for a moment, and that is, and, and I'm guilty of it too, uh, and that is people talking during worship. I'm, I'm just going there for a moment. I'm talking about people talking loud and talking about life stuff during worship. And I'm watching people being distracted by that. I, I know as a pastor, everybody wants to ask me something. There's some of you, everybody wants to ask you something. If it's really important, let's take it out in the hallway, Amen. okay? So it's not distracting. I think it's a really easy fix. If we're gonna grow here, which I think we're growing incredibly well and we're getting incredibly healthy as we come out of one of the seasons that's been the ugliest we've ever known, I just see this culture of honor rising in our midst. And part of that honor is just that. If you have something you wanna talk about, take it out in the foyer, have at it, okay? Just don't disrupt someone who's trying to enter into God's presence. I just think that's very, 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 very healthy to do. The other thing that was brought to my attention, I've seen it over the years, and, and that is kids running in the halls. There's a lot of seniors here that do not want to be knocked down and get hurt. And, and we have kids. I love kids. I'm all about kids. That's why I've been part of Christian education for over 40 years. But kids love to run. But somehow we as a family, not just why aren't their parents doing something about it, don't be afraid to, I'm not talking about grabbing them, throwing them to the ground and handcuffing them and, <laughs> and, and, and tying them to a post out there. I'm not talking about that. I'm just simply saying, you're deputized to say, hey, 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 slow down, slow down. And you can do that in a kind way. Amen? Amen. We're all family here, right? Yep. So I think we need to do this together. Right. Amen? So, and, and if kids come around your kids and they're talking and there's chattering going on, uh, that's frustrating sometimes, especially when they're not your children. It's okay to go ask the parents if they could come get their kids and take them back to sit with them. I don't think that's rude. I think that's a healthy thing to do. Amen? Amen? Instead of getting frustrated and getting warped and getting offended, we can nip it really early if we simply do the right thing with the right heart, right? Yeah. Okay, enough said. Where's Gene? Gene has a testimony I want y'all to hear. Whew. Thought they hit it on us. Hi guys. So yeah, there, there's nothing better than Jesus. <laughs> I had a really good time in worship this morning. Um, so my testimony is that I think most of you know a couple of years ago I got diagnosed with invasive melanoma. And I thought I was all done with that. And then on December 27th, I went in for what I thought was a routine skin check. And the dermatologist found a spot and she sent it in for um, a biopsy. And I, I told her, hey, you know, as long as you're there, why don't you just cut some more off so I won't have to have surgery after? And she said, no, no, can't do that. 
there's this thing called standard of care, and we're going to have to go back and take another centimeter of tissue out all the way around it. And I'm just like, oh, not again. Anyway, long story short, it did come back as invasive melanoma, which means it likes to color outside the lines and go places. And um, anyway, uh, I'm going to try to keep this straight. So... After I got the diagnosis, then they set you up for your schedule for surgery, have to go in for a PET scan and all that. And in the meantime, I was having to work through a lot of stuff because I was not expecting that. This just came and hit me out of the, it, it, it just took me by shock. And um, it was either Doug or uh, Matt, I forget. One of you guys was talking about giving, present your bodies a living sacrifice. I remember that in one of the teachings. And that was something I had been trying to work through during this whole period of time. And because um, during COVID, I kind of took things back and my body was being presented to sugar and other things that shouldn't have been presented to. Anyway, um, during this, this time, um, Jay sent home a bottle of anointing oil with Bob. And I thought, okay, well, I'm presenting my body a living sacrifice. And I started putting that holy oil on the spot that where she had taken the biopsy. And then by the time I got to the uh, oncologist for him to check, he couldn't find where she had cut the biopsy off from. <laughs> yeah. I was so healed up. And he just kept looking at the paperwork and saying, she did take a biopsy, right? And I'm like, yeah. He's, I can't see anything. And so they still have me scheduled for surgery, though, because there's this thing called standard of care. They still need to take a bunch of extra tissue out to make sure they got it all. Well, my thought was, why do I have to do that when he doesn't even know where to cut? But... There's, I, that was another part of presenting my body a living sacrifice. I had to be willing to let it go and let God have my body, no matter what that was going to look like. And it didn't look like what I wanted it to look like, but that's okay. It's what I had to do. So before, when I went through the PET scan, it came back and showed no signs of cancer anywhere, not even from where she took the biopsy. So I got a call from the doctor like two days. They moved my surgery a bunch of times. Two days before, I got a call from the doctor saying, I've been thinking about this ever since you were in here, and I don't think we need to do surgery. We're just going to keep an eye on it for 90 days. <laughs> Yay, God. So yeah, remember that presenting your body thing. That goes a long ways towards lifting stuff off of you. That's a good, great word. Yes. Awesome. Matt? Hey, you beautiful people. <laughs> I was just hearing in the spirit that there are some here who feel poor in spirit. You're going through some stuff. And just to simply remind you, the Father wants to remind you that when you are poor in spirit, you're blessed. You're blessed with the kingdom. The kingdom of God belongs to you. And it's what a contrast from poor to the kingdom of God. Wealthy. And blessed means fully made happy. So when you are sad, you are happy. When you are poor, you are rich. Good work. Thank you. Um, let's just take a moment and pray into that. Yes. Matt. <laughs> I waited till he sat all the way down. If you have felt what Matt was talking about, you felt poor in spirit, would you stand? Yeah. 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 Good. You're good, yeah. All right.
I thank you that when we know you, you fill us. Yes, God. We are already complete in you. Thank you, Jesus. Colossians chapter 2 says we are already full. And so right now, these individuals who have stood, I thank you, Father, that they can just reach up and access what is already theirs. Yes. Yes. The full riches of yes. the glory of Thank the eternal Jesus. King of heaven reaches down and offers himself in all of his fullness, not half, not 99%, but yeah. 100% yeah. of the healer, of yes. the, the one who is anointed with the oil of gladness more than anyone. Jesus himself says, here I am. You have all of me. Yes. So Amen. 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 Turn with me, if you would, <clears throat> to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. While you're getting there, as most of you know, I've been kind of preaching along this vein, a series for a moment, and... Today, I kind of want to tighten this all up to make a point. And what I've been talking about is, is this time we're in a season, as Matt talked about, and one of the things he shared was there are seasons in your life. And right now, I believe overall as a tribe and as a community, as, as, as a church, as a body of believers, we're in this season where we need to stand up and we need to push back against the evil that's encroaching. Years ago, the evil was on the other side of the fence. Now the evil has jumped over the fence and come into our yard. And it's not only your fight, it's your family's fight, it's all of our fight to push back the evil, right? And, and God's choice of weapon, I believe, for this moment and this season is our God-given voice. Amen? We talked about that last week. But my question is, what proof do we have that the message that God, we believe, has given us is from Him. What proof, what evidence do we have that what God is speaking to our heart to speak to the world is really of Him? What proof? Now, I believe that living proof will trump relativism all the time. We are living in this moment where relativism is this thought, it's actually more like a doctrine that, that it may be okay for you, that may be your deal, but for me, I'm free to do this. In other words, there are no standards, there are no absolutes, it's just whatever you feel to do right in your heart, that's okay. If it's relative to you, that's fine, because it's not relative to me. And everything's wonky and on its ear. How many understand that? It's just wonky and on its ear, and we're in that moment right now. But I believe that living proof of what God is doing will trump that all day long, okay? Now, I want to read this scripture, and I want to let you let it simmer on your heart, like slow cook, and we're going to get back to it. Ephesians 1, verses 13 and 14. I'm reading out of the NIV. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is depositing, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. That's truth. But I want that to simmer because I'm not going there yet. Right now, it seems as if we're in a moment where our words that we're speaking, although they may be from God, we're speaking truth. It may seem as if it's not enough to push back all the rage and all the division that we're seeing today. Because I may take the word God and speak truth to someone who doesn't believe in the word of God and to them it's not relevant so they don't believe it although it's absolute truth right 
So we're missing something here. I think for this generation to really hear us, for this generation to really feel what we're saying, I think that our God-given voice must be verified by the power of God. This generation that we're trying to reach, this people group that we're trying to come in contact, this, this group that we are in with, maybe we're in their circle of influence and they're in ours. They're tired of this. They're tired of just words. They want to see living proof of what we are saying, that it's absolute truth, that it is really real. Right? Mario Murillo, he's on that crusade. It's called Living Proof Crusade. He preaches the word, very little of it, and then God shows up, and then people see evidence and proof of how powerful God is. Example, if I'm standing up here, and all of a sudden, God just totally heals my arm, I mean, it just grows out. Most of you would go, yeah! But what about that people group that I grew up in this community that I know don't know Jesus, all of a sudden saw that happen. It would be like, whoa, whoa. Right? Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and the power that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Signs and wonders, I believe, will let this generation know that what we are saying is really true. There are many books on theology. Man, you can read hundreds and hundreds of books on theology, and a lot of them have tried in vain to explain the supernatural. But it's amazing what the word of God, if, if, if just left alone by its own self, can shed light on what's going on. We got all these commentaries out there. Everybody's trying to interpret what it's really saying. It's not really saying that because today we know that things are different. Now, I'm not anti-commentary, but I have met people that all they do is read the commentary and not the word. And what happens is, is it paints you into a box where you're just getting the interpretation or the opinion of one person. So I'm all into reading the word of God alone. If Steve Shaw caught you, the former pastor caught you with a commentary, he would say something. He would say, just read the word. And people would come and say, you know, this commentary says that, and this commentator says that, and this one says that, and he'd say, stop it. You can hear him say that. Just stop it. Read the word. Acts 14.3. I'm just going to go through this because I'm trying to get to a point here for time's sake. Therefore, they stayed there a long time speaking boldly in the Lord, who was bearing witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. The Living Bible puts it this way. Nevertheless, they stayed there a long time preaching boldly, And the Lord proved their message was from him by giving them the power to do great miracles. So the Lord was proving that their message was from him by giving them the ability or the power to be able to perform great miracles. That's why we read where they laid hands on the sick, they were healed. Where they went out and set the captives free, the demonic were released from the strongholds. And the list goes on and on. Miracles, signs and wonders really do prove that your message is from God. And Paul clearly did not believe that we can preach a full gospel without signs and wonders. Right? Okay, let's shift gears for a moment. How many of you remember the name David Wilkerson? Ooh, quite a few of you. Man, I read so much of his stuff. David Wilkerson, he was the founder of Teen Challenge. He was the one that wrote the book, the Cross and the Switchblade. Most of you remember that. Nikki Cruz was in the book. It, was, it really chronicled his first years of ministry working with uh, disillusioned youth. It's a powerful, pop. there was a movie made about, how many read the book, Cross and the Switchblade? 
Read it if you have not. It's a powerful, powerful book. But David Wilkerson said this. He said, if Paul had taught without, preached and taught without signs and wonders following, his message would not have had its full impact. It would not have been the gospel fully preached. So a message from God that's crowned with miracles really does deliver a devastating blow to the enemy. And this is one of the challenges we have today. And that is Satan absolutely hates miracles. He absolutely despises signs and wonders. I mean, he hates it. Uh, tough, yeah, tough. And, and having said that, this is why he drives the church and has driven the church historically to these two extremes when it comes to the supernatural. One extreme denies that there's even miracles today. You would call that a sensation doctrine. People who hold this stand that when the last apostle died, all the magic, all the mysterious stuff of the Holy Spirit, all that just disappeared. It all stopped. And there are many, many mainline denominations. And I'm not here to pick on anyone because I want to make a point. I'm not here to pick on any denomination. I'm not here to pick on another people group. I'm just saying that is fact. They have their little doctrine that says that when the last apostle died, so did all of the good stuff. Years ago, I was in a prayer meeting where we were praying with a bunch of youth pastors, and we were praying for a brother who was struggling with cancer. And I mean, there was about 14 of us in there, and we're just praying. And I remember one of the other brothers who was from another uh, charismatic Pentecostal church, he's like praying the fire and the thunder, man. And then one of the other brothers goes, stop. Father, the greatest miracle is going to be when he's in heaven with you. So please take him. (laughs) If I could have hooked him in a righteous kind of way, (laughs) I would have done it. But that was the theology. That's what he grew up with. That was the doctrinal stance that he had. Okay? And I remember the brother that was from the Pentecostal Charismatic Church, he came unglued. And I grabbed his arm and I said, not now. And he's like, he was upset. I said, you guys can take it outside, but don't, don't, don't be going off in here. But then the problem is the other extreme goes clear out to the other side, behaves with such fakery and, and emotionalism. I'll just say it. You have a lot of narcissism going on in the, in the part that's clear on the other side. It's about me. God has given me this gift. And I'm the only one that can do this. I am the only one qualified to lay hands. How many have known that one? A few of you have. It's the other extreme. They're shaking rattlesnakes and doing all this stuff. And and people look at that. And what happens is it discredits the supernatural movement of God. Second Corinthians 12, 12. Turn there really quick. This is a powerful verse. You have to kind of unpack it a little bit, but it's a powerful verse. 1 Corinthians 12, 12. I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians. Just to test, see if you're hearing. If, if you need hearing, we have it, you know, there's these. It's so, it's so interesting being up here because God's speaking to your heart. You're, you're trying to. You're trying to stay somewhat focused on where you think God's taking you and all these other things are popping up in your head. And and, uh, so it's a challenge. So that's my excuse. 2 Corinthians 12, 12. Truly the signs of an apostle were accomplished among you with all perseverance and signs and wonders and mighty deeds. This is a powerful verse, but unfortunately today some of these words are really offensive really offensive to many because of all of the abuses that they have seen in the supernatural, right? And I've talked to people like that. They come to our church from very conservative background and they come here and they're just trying to figure this out and they're uncomfortable with some of the things that they see happening. I was down at Bethel one time during a youth event years ago and I remember Roland uh, Baker, Heidi Baker's husband, was praying for a bunch of youth and and... 
he just kind of reaches out and touches this kid. And this kid literally went horizontal. And in the process, his shoe came off, went clear up and hit the ceiling, came back down. And I was, in my mind, I'm trying to figure out the physics behind that. <laughs> and then, then Roland goes, give me the shoe. And he took the shoe and he just pointed it at people and they went down. <laughs> now, some of you could say without, they were hyper-emotional. I'm telling you, I was there. I witnessed it. There was something moving in the atmosphere. It was called the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And I'll tell you, a lot of those people got wrecked. I mean, in a healthy way, got flattened. It's powerful stuff. I've seen things like that happen here. Again, David Wilkerson. I'll just finish with this. David said, note Paul's words in this verse. Signs, wonders, and mighty deeds. Most Christians today cringe when they hear these words. Why? Because these words have been made an abomination by unscrupulous, power-hungry preachers and teachers. The great tragedy is that such perversions have caused many God-fearing pastors, evangelists, and lay people to turn away from the truth of a fully preached gospel. Yes. It's true. We had Hope Night here, which was a powerful moment. And I've been talking to people and one of the things that absolutely just made my heart go, oh, was I was praying for a young couple, and I don't know if they were married or just boyfriend, girlfriend, I don't know. I didn't ask them all that, but I'm just praying for them, and she's just got tears shooting straight out like a sprinkler, and I remember handing her a Kleenex, and she said something. I said, excuse me, and she said, we do not get this in our church. Well, my heart just went, what are we missing? And I was talking to somebody else who said almost the same thing. I love the church we go to. It's great. It's family. It's fun. But this is not there. Guys, we have a long ways to go. We have a long ways to go. You know, I hear things like, well, I have a good friend. I won't say what denomination he comes from. The kids go to school here. He's fun. We have a great conversations. We joke and we laugh. But he's just like, man, don't go crazy on me. <laughs> I don't want to release that in my church. I'm afraid it'll get out of control and I'll lose control and I won't have control. And, and, and I won't, I, we see a threat here, brother. Do you, well, I don't mean that kind of control. Oh, okay. All right. It's messy when the Holy Spirit shows up. It gets weird and wonky. But yet, there's still God is a God of order, okay? We have to remember that, too. So we can't get so far out there that we just go crazy, amen? So my heart had always been, most of you that know me, that are close to me, know that I want to walk in a balance of spirit and truth. But David Wilkerson was saying something was earth-shaking. He was saying that we're not powerless because of the, the charlatans and the fakes. No, we're powerless because good people are reacting to those charlatans and fakes, Oh, oh my goodness, you misuse and abuse all that stuff, so I don't want to go there. I don't want it to happen in my church. I get that. I understand that. But there's something I want to get to at the end here that we cannot miss. And I was so grateful that you made that comment, young lady, about the juice box and the straw, because it really confirmed what God was laying on my heart. So I wrote a note here. I said, should we be fighting the battle of our lives without our best weapons because someone has misused them? Of course not. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 10, 4, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. But it seems like the capital C church today, it just seems like the weapons that they're using are really not weapons. If anything, they're just marketing tools. And I think that makes us look really pathetic. Amen? Amen. Mario Murillo said, sermons that might have forked lightning and turned a city to God are now being merely flattened into harmless speeches. And he went on to say in a quote, events that might have destroyed demonic strongholds are instead concerts with motivational talks. Ouch. All of this is utterly useless against the evil that's rising up 
all around us. We are not fooling anybody when we preach an empty gospel. We're not fooling anyone when we preach a powerless gospel. Secular America, man, they intuitively know. They look at us and they intuitively know that something is wrong with all of this. They know it. They see it. They smell it. They can smell the compromise. They see the contradictions between our claims and our conditions. They see it. And they see it clearly. And they're always poking a finger at it. Are you sick of all this? Are you sick of the mess that's going on around us? Do you want to walk in more power? And I'm talking about the power that evicts devils and destroys the arguments of wicked men. How many want that? Then it's time. It's time for us to do something about it. And the good news is we can. There is something we can do about it. And you need to know this, where you fit in all this. The God-given a voice... And the anointing to verify it, I wrote, with signs and wonders, is not just for preachers. It's not for just up here. It's for every believer. Turn to Mark 16, verse 17 and 18. Mark 16, verses 17 and 18. And it says, and these signs will follow just the preachers. No, it doesn't say that. These signs will follow those who believe. If you're a believer, raise your hand. Okay, these signs will follow you. That's the promise, okay? In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. And they will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. So who carries that ability? You do. And more than a woo, I'll say it again. You do. So the nine gifts of the Spirit are for just a few select? No, they're for every single one of you. The quickening of, of, of wisdom that, that, and, 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 and to be able to speak irresistible words is not just for preachers from the pulpit. God wants to give... Some of you are incredible writers. New, you have a gift in articulating your heart. You really, truly do. And I encourage you to expound that. Expound on that. And some of you are writers. Max Rushmeyer is a phenomenal writer. I, I encourage you guys, use your voice through your writing. You can expound. You hear what I'm saying? Every one of you carries an ability to be able to push the kingdom of darkness back and to expand the kingdom of God forward. And God wants that, that power flowing from every tongue and in every endeavor undertaken for the glory of God. Amen? Amen? I wrote here, God wants all his soldiers to use his supernatural power into and take it into every sphere of business, education, law enforcement, entertainment, and yes, even into ministry. When you're laying hand on the sick, it's sick. It's not a science project. It's a mission. It's a mission. And expect to see God back your play. Amen. If God says, go lay hands on that person, and you are obedient, and you go do that, you need to trust that God's going to do something. He's going to work through you, and their lives are going to be changed forever. Yes. Last week, I shared a scripture on 1 Samuel chapter 10, verses 6 and 7. The Spirit of the Lord will come upon you, and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. Samuel's speaking to Saul, who became the king, but he's saying, there's a mission you need to go on. So he kind of sends him on this mission. And then he says, then the spirit of the Lord will come upon you and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. All of this turning into another person, being turned. How many feel like in the last few months, something in your heart has just caused you to want to step into something new? Yeah, yeah, I see that around the room. I'm telling you what God is doing is he's turning you into another person. Another person. All of this begins with an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. All of this begins 
when the Holy Spirit is poured out on us and we step back and he fills us. Amen? That's exactly what happened in Peter's uh, answer uh, in, uh, excuse me, turn to Acts 4.31. But this is exactly what happened in direct answer to Peter's prayer in Acts 4.31. It says, and when they had prayed, the place they were assembled together was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the God, they spoke the word of God with boldness. I just love it when somebody is so confident in whose they are and who they are that they can speak the things of God with incredible boldness. Amen? I love that. T.L. Osborne said this, the gospel of the kingdom must be preached with evidence. It must be preached as a witness. This can only be done by Christians who are filled with the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is our power, the source of our power. He is our confidence. He is our wisdom. He is our helper. He is our comforter. He is our guide. The list goes quite, quite long. He is all of that and more. And why would anyone who is enraged by the moment that we are in, why would anyone who's enraged by the evil present that we, presence that we see pressing in on us stay quiet? You push on something hard enough, at some point it's going to make a noise, right? But why are we waiting? Why are we just like, uh, I, uh, and you frustrated and you feel heavy and you feel pressed down. How many feel that right now? There's some of you that feel that, yeah. But why would you stay quiet when, when there's still something cooking in your heart? There's like this fire of God in your belly to do something about it. Why would you not speak up? Why would you not stand up? Why would you not step out? Maybe you don't know that the Holy Spirit wants to come upon you. Maybe you really don't know or believe that the Holy Spirit wants to give you an irresistible tongue and a battery of mighty weapons that will take out the enemy with the promise of victory from the highest source. Maybe you don't quite understand that. And this is where I really want to shift gears for a moment. This is where, I, I, as I was writing this, I'm going, Father, there's like, some people get it, they've got it, they're on fire, and others are just like, I believe. But I don't feel that power and that unction to get up and do anything about it. I feel like I need to do maybe a little more research. Maybe I need to read a little more, take a little of this, do a little of that. How many, how many feel that one? Yeah, yeah. I think we reach a road in our life, in our walk with Jesus, where we come to this confluence or a fork in the road. And for a moment, if you would indulge me, I want to go to Baptism 101. Baptism in the Holy Spirit 101. Can I do that for a moment? So when a person, and and this is as I learned it, as I grew up, as, as, as the camps I came out of, this is kind of an overview of how I learned this. When a person accepts Jesus as their Lord and Savior, the Word of God is very clear that we move from the, 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 the realm of darkness into the realm of light, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. We move from the dominion of Satan, the control and the rule of Satan, we move into the kingdom of light, where now we live under the King of kings and the Lord of lords, right? This is not a process. It's gradual. It's not a journey. We're slowly walking. It is instantaneous. It's Bam! The moment you believe, it happens. And the word tells us very clear, without going to all the scriptures, that at that moment, God recreates you, and you become a new creation. Everything that was old and ugly about you is pushed away and slid off the table, and you become a new creation. Your identity, God says, give me your old identity. You no longer belong to that kingdom. Here's your new identity. You are a son. You are a daughter of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And it says right there on my identity who I am. So at the new birth, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell inside of us. That's where this Ephesians 1 scripture I told you about at the very beginning that I hope was simmering in your heart. This is where it comes into play. It teaches us that the Holy Spirit is the seal of salvation for all who believe. Okay? 
Now, this is just 101, and whether you come from evangelical camp or a Pentecostal charismatic camp, this is widely accepted as 101, okay? So the moment you're born again, you receive the Spirit, okay? Romans 8, 9 says, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. In other words, you are not in the flesh or no longer in the flesh, meaning you're no longer controlled by Satan. You're no longer controlled by the enemy of this world. Now you're under the control of the Holy Spirit who comes inside you to teach and to lead and to guide you into all things, right? This is just basic teaching. So the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, is here to teach and to admonish and to bear witness to the fact that you belong to another kingdom, that you have a different father, and his name is God. Amen? That's basic 101. But here's where we start to part ways. In the charismatic Pentecostal circles, we go one way. In the evangelical circles, we go another way. Because there are many who believe that there is not a second baptism. There is not a second filling of the Holy Spirit. There's not a second manifestation. Many believe in conservative views that all of that happened at one moment when you were born again. But I'm here to tell you there's something distinctly different going on, going on. Yes. I wrote here, however, when a person is born again, they are not automatically baptized in the Spirit and I wrote here, being born again or born of the Spirit and baptized in the Spirit are two distinct manifestations of the Spirit of God within us. This gets a little technical. I could get a whiteboard up here, but I think you guys are following me. So the distinction between being born again, that salvation moment, and the baptism in the Holy Spirit is recorded in the book of Acts. Turn with me to the book of Acts chapter 8. Verse four. So on two occasions, while you're looking, on two occasions in the book of Acts, believers are prayed for to receive the baptism or the infilling of the Holy Spirit after they had been converted. And this is where you, I, I don't know how you can miss this, but this was a game changer when I saw this. And we're talking about exhibit A, the Samaritan revival. Oh my goodness. In this account, if we read it verbatim, which we don't have a lot of time to do that, but if we read it verbatim, you would see that the gospel is being preached in the city of Samaria. And, and Philip is doing a fantastic job of preaching the gospel. In fact, people are believing and they're being baptized because of the preaching that Peter brought. Okay? And Jesus said in Mark 14, 16, who, he who has believed in me has been baptized and has been baptized shall be saved. Thus, the Samaritans were saved members of the body of Christ, right? They were saved members. They believed they were baptized in water, which, by the way, is sometimes called an entrance into the body of Christ. You, come, you go underwater. It represents the death, the resurrection, the burial, and all of a sudden this new life coming up out of the water. Boom, they did it all. So, if they got hit by a bus, which wouldn't happen back then, maybe a bunch of camels and automatically went to be in the presence of God, would they be saved? Of course they would have because they believed. And yet they had not received the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Acts 8.16 says, For he had not yet fallen on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Interesting, okay? So we can see from this passage that the new birth and the baptism of the Holy Spirit are not one in the same. It's important we understand this if you want to move out and move into more power. I'm telling you, this is how this works. The Samaritans, we, I think, can all agree, at least from what we've read so far, that they were truly born again. They were saved when they received the word of God. But again, this did not automatically give them the infilling of the Holy Spirit. That manifestation came after the apostles came and laid hands on them. Then the infilling of the Holy Spirit happened. I give you exhibit B. 
turn to Acts 9. This is very interesting to me. Acts 9. It's talking about Saul's conversion. This is Saul who became Paul, right? And this, this conversion or this new birth took place on the road to Damascus. That's what we read. And it's evidenced by the fact that in, this, in the conversation that he had, he addressed the risen Christ as Lord. Okay? Acts 9, 5. <clears throat> and he said, who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And then he asked Jesus what he wanted him to do. And then later in Acts, I think, 22, Paul recounts this story, recounts this moment, and he says, and I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, arise and go to Damascus, and there you will, you will be told of all the things that have been appointed for you to do. So what did Paul do? He obeyed, and he went. To, he went. So here we have the story of this, this man who was led blind into the city of Damascus, he was a man who had witnessed, he had believed in the resurrected Christ, and he had submitted himself to the Lordship. Even though Paul was converted, Paul was born again, he was not yet filled with the Holy Spirit. Because the word says it wasn't until Ananias came and laid hands on him. And at that moment, he regained not only his sight, but he was filled with the Holy Spirit as well. Acts nine seventeen, and Ananias departed. And entered the house, and after laying his hands on him, said, and by the way, Ananias really didn't want to go. The Holy Spirit's talking, he said, are you sure? Because this guy was killing Christians. Are you, should I wear asbestos or something? Because this could really get hot. Yeah. The Holy Spirit's going, uh-uh, you go. And he went with the word of God. And he spoke the word, and it says here, and he entered the house, and after laying hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming, has sent me that, so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, there are instances where you are filled and baptized all at the same time. There are. You have Cornelius, who was the Roman centurion, and we read in the stories, while Peter was speaking these words in Acts 10.44, it says, the Holy Spirit fell upon all of those who were listening to the message. And when you read the story, you'll see that Cornelius' entire household had the Spirit of God fall. They believed, and boom, the whole kit and caboodle at one time. So sometimes it can happen simultaneously. I have met a few people that that's happened to. That's not my personal story, but that's what's happened Story back there. Yeah, yeah, it happens. But again, this does not mean that the two works of God are one and the same. So, if being born again meant the same thing as being filled with the Spirit, the Samaritans who had received the Word of God and were baptized in water would not have needed afterwards to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, right? And Saul the new convert would have not needed Ananias to come all the way to lay hands on him to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So what we see here is two distinct works and two distinct manifestations. I hope I'm not getting too technical here, but this is like 101, baptism in the Holy Spirit. So I wrote here, regeneration by the Spirit and baptism in the Spirit are two distinct works of the same Spirit of God. Okay? Yes, both of them result in the manifestation of the presence of God within a believer, but the manifestations are not the same. And that's what we need to understand. If you came out of a really conservative camp, you might be like right now going, but trust me, there's something more. And I think the best way to illustrate this quickly is turn to John 4.14. Jesus is speaking to the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman the person he wasn't supposed to be talking to according to Jewish law, but he's there and he's speaking to her. And he makes this interesting statement. He says, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. So in this statement, Jesus refers to the indwelling of the spirit, which occurs when a person is born again. Again, water is often used as a symbol of God's Spirit. So, the Holy Spirit in a born-again believer 
is a well of water, which you can tap into it more. It, it brings eternal life to those who possess it. Yes, it's there. We can tap into it to, to always be encouraged, to quench our spiritual thirst, to, to sustain us. It will help us make it through. And every born-again believer has this well of water of God's Spirit within them. That is a guarantee. But he says something interesting over in chapter 7, verse 38. All of a sudden, this little well changes. He says, he who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being shall flow rivers of living waters. Now, I'm, I'm trying to figure this out just like some kind of analogy of how that would work. And it's kind of like we invite Jesus into the foyer. He's in the foyer. If you need anything, he's there. Just go out the doors. You'll get what you need. You'll be refreshed. You'll quench your, oh, he'll just take care of you. And then we come back in here. But all of a sudden, we move from this place where, well, let me get, just go on. In this passage, the water again, I wrote, refers to the Holy Spirit. But now Jesus refers to the water as rivers and not just a well. So this should help us understand the difference between the presence of God and God's Spirit in those who were born again and those who were baptized in the Holy Spirit. Distinct different. In the former, I wrote, just so I could make this clear, in the former, the Spirit's presence is like a well, but in the latter, the Spirit's presence is like rivers which flow outward to give help and sustenance to everyone around. So it's kind of like when he becomes a river that flows out of your innermost being, which is the most central, deepest part of your being. It's saying, Jesus, come from the foyer. I need you into every room of my heart. I need you in every single room of my heart. And everything changes. <clears throat> so instead of just going out, taking a little, you know, putting your hand in the cup, taking whatever, all of a sudden you come in here and you are just, Jesus, you just totally, have, you're everywhere. You fill in all of the blanks. You fill in all of me. And I'm telling you, when that happens to you, there is a power that will radically alter your life. How many of you know that experience? Yeah. So what's the difference? I've had people ask, well, what's the difference? I'm trying to figure this out. I'm telling you, the difference is supernatural power. Supernatural power. The ability to really go out and to do the things that God's called you to do with power and effectiveness. I wrote here, the baptism of the Spirit gives to the believer a greater manifestation of the presence of God and induce him with the supernatural power of God. Yeah. I remember in my journey, I remember my father called me, and, and you guys know my Mario Murillo story. I won't go into all that, but at the end of the day, God called me out through Mario. And I remember I just said, yes, Jesus, this is the real deal. Now, I grew up in and out of the church, I was mainly challenged to sit in the pew, don't drink and chew, don't run with those that do, just be a good boy and everything will be fine. And I, I kept thinking, there's got to be more. John Wimber said, what, I, I got to do the devil's stuff? When do I get to do God's stuff? And that was my heart. I want to I do God's stuff. And I remember my dad called me one day and he said, uh, you need to come down here, we've got a guy down here speaking and sharing and people being slain in the spirit. And I went, oh my goodness, dad just lost it. That was like a foreign language to me. I was like, what? But out of respect to my father, I went, and you know, they're laying hands on people. And this is where the, I, I struggled, honestly, was I just felt people were being pushed down. And, and, but at that moment, someone laid hands on me, and I felt this like bolt of lightning. Now, I was a believer. I believed in Jesus. I knew I was saved. But I'd never encountered that kind of power. And it was like, I just felt it. It radically altered the course of my life. I was all in, all in. Both my wife and I, we were young and married together, young, and had this encounter. It was crazy. And my cry was, Jesus, use me any way you want. Now, I still worked in the secular world. And it wasn't until a few weeks later, I'm actually standing at uh, <clears throat> a butcher block. It's a big, long counter. And I'm cutting up some stuff. And, and I'm alone in the room. 
And all of a sudden, something came out of me. It was words. They talked about tongues. Now, let me, let me just preface this for a moment, because tongues seems to be something that hangs a lot of people up. I hear people go, you know, I feel like I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. I felt that, but I don't have my prayer language yet. I'm telling you, you just got to ask. But some people get hung up on it. And I've even heard people say, well, you don't speak in tongues, so you're not filled with the Holy Spirit. I don't think that's right. I think speaking in tongues is evidence of or a manifestation of being baptized in the Spirit. I believe that with all my heart. And I'll defend that. But at the end of the day, I'm standing at the me block, and all of a sudden, this noise started coming out in these words, and I thought I swore in a language I didn't even know. And I'm just going, oh my goodness gracious. And I, was, I felt like I blasphemed the Holy Spirit. I felt it was over for me. I might as well go jump in the river right now and just be done with everything. <clears throat> but no, God just supercharged my life. But the emphasis wasn't on tongues or any of that. The emphasis was on this filling of the presence of God that took me to a whole nother level. So let me be really clear. Being baptized in the Spirit is not a requirement for salvation or for going to heaven. It's not. But it's offered for all those who believe. And I'm telling you, it is, however, a requirement if you want to operate in God's supernatural power. If you want more, if you want to walk in more authority and more power and see more things taken and moved out of the way, you need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. People say, well, how, how do I do this? There is no formula. There is no magic incantation. Nothing except ask. And that's between you and Jesus. I can sit here and ask for the Holy Spirit to enter your heart all day long. But if you have the door shut or you don't want that or you don't have your head around, it's a wash. It's your responsibility to say, Father, I want more. In fact, Jesus says in Luke eleven thirteen, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? You simply ask. There's only one requirement. You have to be born again first. You have to be a believer. So I ask you, have you been born again? Let's stand. Have you given Jesus access to all of your heart? Now, I know there's people in here who are born again. You have the seal of the Holy Spirit on your heart. I know that for a fact. But I know there's others in here who want to go to another level, and you want more of Him. You want more of His presence, and you want to be baptized deeper into the Holy Spirit. Rivers implies it keeps moving. So as you give it away, God just keeps filling you up with his presence. It doesn't just a one-time shot. So we're going to play a song. And if that's you, if you want more of him, if you want more of his presence, you want more of his power and authority to carry forth what God's called you to do in his kingdom, I want you to come. And we want to lay hands on you. But you need to come and you need to ask for that. Okay? Spirit. There's nothing worth more. I need some prayer words up here, ministry team people. No thing can compare. You're our living home. Your presence. Tasted and see of the sweetest of loves when my heart becomes free and my shame is undone. You presence Yeah.